this morning. And as everyone is uh, is getting settled, I just want to thank you for that. Win, thank you for uh, leading out in that. Uh, that was uh, most certainly a surprise. I'm glad someone explained that uh, as far as what you all got, because I could just imagine somebody thinking, well, this pastor's telling us to do this for him and all that. I'm glad it came from somewhere else. I'm very thankful for our personnel team um, and for all the partnerships that we have with all of our teams to be able to do kingdom work here. It's just an absolute joy to be able to serve Jesus with all of you. And so um, I'm going to ask you, if you would, to stand, if you're able. Mark chapter 6, verses 14 to 29. We're getting our quads a good workout this morning, aren't we? How lovely. How lovely. One of the many free services we offer here at Arapahoe Road. But uh, we're going to start at Mark chapter 6. Again, starting at verse 14 and going to verse 29. It says this. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said he is Elijah, and others said he is a prophet like one of the prophets of old. But when, he, when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For it was Herod who sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was righteous and a holy man and kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed and he heard him gladly. But an opportunity came when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he vowed to give her, and he vowed to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give up to half my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, For what should I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. And she came in and immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. And he went and beheaded him in prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. You may be seated. So this morning we're going to look at when, a, when the Spirit stings our conscience. The Spirit stings our conscience or pricks our conscience. Well, what should be done? Whenever we, it should be said that whenever we're going through a book like this, the reason we go through books one right after another number is really threefold. One, um, it's good for us, especially when it comes to the gospel of Mark, for us to revisit the life and mission of Jesus. But second of all, we are going through the book the way the Holy Spirit laid out the book. And third, it prevents me from being tempted for skipping over passages maybe like this that seem a little difficult. All of it is God's word, whether it's inspirational and is found in a Hobby Lobby 
um, thing that you hang up in your in your um, in your room, or or whether it's something that's really a tough passage like this. You're not going to find a lot of Hobby Lobby stitching from this particular passage. You just won't. Sorry. Um, maybe they custom make things. I don't know. But the thing is, is that I, I look at it from three ways. Lord, what do you say? And Lord, how is this received by those who originally heard it? And then how is it to be applied today? And so I was looking up a commentary in uh, Kent Hughes. He actually called this passage that he was commenting on the death of a conscience. Because we see this with Herod is that Herod had something that was playing in the pipes with him. When he was listening to John the Baptist, he was hearing something even, and he respected him. He respected his life. He was hearing him gladly. And yet John the Baptist, by Herod's own working, did not end well. When we talk about a conscience, a conscience is whatever you believe in your heart is right or wrong. That's how you operate. We've got to be careful because a lot of us may have grown up on Pinocchio and the, and the Jiminy Cricket theology of let your conscience be your guide. You've got to be careful because what your conscience is, is going to be activated by whatever worldview you tend to hold. Hitler was not violating his conscience when he did what he did to the Jews. He thought he was doing the right thing. So a conscience is not always your best guide. The apostle Paul in, in, um, in Acts 26, he talks about that I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and men. Well, Paul was being operated by the Holy Spirit. He was operated by, by the scriptures. Romans two fourteen to 16, it says, when the Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on the day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Because we're image bearers of God, God lets us know some basic rights and wrongs. No matter where you go, you know, you murder someone's family, someone of your family, then that's violating a conscience. That's wrong. You cut in front of somebody in line. That's wrong. It doesn't matter uh, wherever you may be. There is an understanding. Even people now that think, say that everything is relative. There's no morality. There's no right or no wrong. Boy, you, but you violate what they think it is. Suddenly their morality comes up. Everybody has a sense of right and wrong. It just depends on what worldview is operating that. Hebrews 10.22 says, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. So you can have an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. 1 Timothy 4.2 says that our consciences can be seared where there's no feeling of your conscience at all. It says, through the insincerity of lies whose consciences are seared. And Titus 1.15, to the pure all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving nothing is pure, but both their minds and their consciences are defiled. Do you see what's happening here? So your conscience, you have to make sure that your conscience is being activated by truth. And that's the first thing that we're going to look at. What can be done? Make sure that your conscience is informed by truth. So we look at verses 14 to 16, and we see that King Herod had heard of Jesus. This is one of the few times that we see in the Gospel of Mark that Jesus is not on stage. 
Those of you that have plays, my, my son's been doing plays at, uh, at school and such, and so we go and see them every so often, and there's sometimes there are people that are on stage, and there's sometimes that people are talked about on stage, but they're not on stage at the time, and Jesus is not front and center. Who is? Is Herod and John the Baptist, and there's going to be some other players that are going to be there, but Herod was convinced, not by truth, but by superstition, that John the Baptist had been raised from the dead. Now, if you're reading through this, and this is the first time going through this, when I read 14 to 16, you may not have known that John the Baptist had been beheaded. So you can see why Herod was shook. He had heard a little bit about Jesus, and Jesus had been doing some amazing things. He was calming seas, and he was healing people, whether it was um, someone that was working in the synagogue or someone that had an issue of blood that was living on the streets for 12 years. Jesus is coming along, and he's healing, and he's moving, and he's working. And the disciples have a front row seat, but not everybody did. And Herod had started hearing about Jesus, but he didn't know much about Jesus. But what he was hearing about Jesus so reminded him of John the Baptist that he's like, oh my goodness, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. Well, that wasn't true. But his conscience and the truth of what John was going to be talking about ended up pricking and stinging his conscience. And we've got to be careful that when we see that going on, We have to do an evaluation of ourselves. So what do we know about Herod? Well, this guy, if you're reading your history books, this is Herod Antipas, A-N-T-I-P-A-S. He was the seventh son of Herod the Great, and he ruled as a tetrarch in Galilee and Perea, which was a neighboring area, from 4 B.C. to 39 A.D. Do your math. That's a long time. That's a long time to have that influence there. And the ESV Study Bible, among other places, talks about how He lost his position because he, like the rest of the Jews in that time, were getting sick of Rome. He wanted to rule with complete sovereignty, and Rome, being the much bigger power, said no. So he was removed. And so this rumor that was spreading... The issue, the reason that um, they, they thought that Jesus was John the Baptist raised from the dead, well, and others actually, it should be said, thought he was Elijah because Elijah played prominently when the Messiah was getting ready to come. They said the Messiah was going to be, who was going to introduce him was going to come in the spirit and power of Elijah. Jesus identified him as John the Baptist. So it was John the Baptist that was actually coming in power of Elijah. Are you keeping score? Are you following? Okay. And then... Like one of the prophets of old, Deuteronomy 18 talks about how there was going to be one like Moses that was going to come and be the Messiah. And so they were, they were knew, they knew enough about their Bible to know, okay, well, this Jesus is, is somebody that looks and sounds very familiar to what we think is, is being found in the Old Testament. But again, Herod had never met him. Well, We have to be informed by truth. We have to make sure that we are leaning in and understanding what the scriptures are saying and what truth is all about in the scriptures. And we have to know Jesus, who is the truth. If you try, if you, you can know principles of truth, but if you don't know Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life, then you're not going to know truth. You're not going to know the ultimate purpose and meaning and value of truth without understanding who Jesus is. And Herod would get there as far as meeting Jesus. That didn't mean that he would receive him. So that's the first thing is that we've got to be informed by truth. The second thing is that is this is to make sure your conscience is not just intrigued by God's message, but is embracing it. Law of averages may bear out that one of the reasons that you may be here is that the Bible is of interest to you. And the Bible is an interesting book. 
Culturally, historically, the Bible is a very interesting book. But you can be intrigued by the Bible, but not embrace the ultimate message of the Bible. Herod was intrigued by John. He was intrigued by John. Herodias, not so much. So there's these conflicting consciences that were even operating within their own homes. You may, some of you may be experiencing that as well. But from John 7, but from Mark 6, rather, 17 to 29, Mark decides to go into details of how John the baptizer lost his life but attained his reward. So Herod sees John, bound him. He didn't like the word that was being said. And you'll notice the relationship between Herod, Herod Antipas, and his wife. Verse 17, for it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. By the way, Philip, this is Herod Philip I, was still alive. So it was a violation of God's law for Herod to do this. And if you think that was a little, there's a little more to this. She was also the daughter of Herod's half-brother Aristobulus and was now Herod's niece. So Herod not only married his sister-in-law, Herod also married his niece. Some of you may have remembered this old song by Grandpa Jones called I'm My Own Grandpa. You listen to that song and you try to keep score and you're like, I don't even know what he's talking about. But, but this is what's happening here. I, he, you know, basically he's his own grandpa. He, he, there is so much that the family tree is not straight with branches. It's almost circular like a corkscrew. But she was, she was his brother Philip's wife. He married her in AD 27, though they divorced. But notice what's happening here. Because sometimes I think when we talk about, well, I'm going to try and get the Bible to those that are outside of the church and outside of God, and I'm going to try and get it out there. And the temptation we may think is, this, this is only for us. We turn God into a tribal God, that God's word is only for God's people. But you notice what's happening here is that in verse 18, it said, for John had been saying to Herod, meaning he's been saying it over and over and over and over and over again, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. That's from Leviticus 18 and Leviticus 20. Yeah, but you're, but Herod, he believed in a different law. So? The idea behind this is that we are all made in the image of God, we are all created by God, and therefore we are all under and have the responsibility and the accountability of violating God's law or not, whether we believe in him or not, whether we trust in him or not. John was not saying, well, Herod's going by a different worldview and different thing like this, and so I'm going to, you know, John was like, I don't care who you are. I don't care about your status. I don't care that you got all these people that are around you that are telling you what you want to hear. You're going to have one person in your life that's going to tell you what God's all about. And, and I think God calls us to be that person. Now, First, first Peter 3.15 says, you know, do it with gentleness and respect. Absolutely. But do it. You see? He's calling us to do this. And so Herodias held a grudge. Why? Because John the Baptist was not giving her a pass to do whatever she wanted to do. And isn't that our culture? Our culture is, this is what I feel like I need to be doing. This is what I feel like I need to be doing. And you, 
you need to give me a pass because this feels right to me. It's not violating my conscience. That's why our conscience needs to be informed by truth. Now, some of you, Monday through Saturday, you may be living however you want to live. Sunday, you may be trying to make up for it on Sunday. See, God, I'm here on Sunday. That's, that's good because that you may be intrigued by God's word. Kent Hughes, in that commentary I referred to earlier, he said this, that perhaps John was a breath of fresh air amidst the social climbing and scheming intrigues of the place court. John cared not at all, a palace court rather, not, John cared not at all about court etiquette or whether Herod or anyone else liked him. He as an original, his, he was an original and he was his own and God's man. Herod could not say that about himself. Herod was being led around. Whatever was, whatever was swaying, that's where Herod was going. But not John. John was on the rock of the Messiah that he prophesied about, that he was the forerunner to. And we see here that we know that we are confronted, again, Kent Hughes, we know we're confronted by holiness and righteousness, but when our lives are straying from the life of God, then there will be a part of us intrigued and even inspired, but another part that may try to explain our lifestyle away. Every so often I come across people who've grown up in the church, they know what the church says, they know what the Bible says, and yet, and yet, they still talk about going against God's design for something because it's a relational challenge for them, it's a financial challenge for them. They find all sorts of excuses to sidestep God's way. Let me tell you this, it may be a relational issue, it may be an influence issue, it may be a finance issue. Trust God to take care of business for you. Sidestepping his design just because it may be relationally and financially more feasible for you is no excuse to disobey God. None. Are you with me? Okay. And so so Herod was up here hearing John gladly. It's, it's, It's interesting when you're in the midst of all of this sin and yet you're liking someone stepping on your toes. Any of you like that? I mean, but there was something about it. But now we get to the, the part, this last one, where we are initiating, where, where you know, first you make sure your conscience is initiating courage and not carelessness. Your, your conscience can get you on a path to where you are not being careful. And in fact, you are being compromising. Verse 21, are these not... Four very, very chilling words, but an opportunity came. The devil will provide you with lots of opportunities to stray away from the things of God. He's very, very good at that. He is very good at getting you away, and, he, and, and he's very subtle about it. And while he is not omnipresent and omniscient, he knows you. He has studied you, and he knows where the soft spots are and the weak spots are. He knows where that where the chink in the armor would be. He knows how to find that. And so Herodias was looking for an opportunity to extinguish the testimony and the actual person of John the Baptist. And so she had to do something, but it had to come from Herod. It couldn't come from her. If it had come from her, John would have been gone the first time he had said something. 
But there's always going to be people in your life who are operating by different values and a different conscience that you are. Especially if you're a follower of Jesus, you're going to be surrounded by people that are operating from conflicting consciences. So Herodias's conscience was so seared that she felt what she was doing was right. And I think, I'm going to try and explain this for those of you who've been in church world a long time. And who have been guided by the word of God a long time. Now, those of you that may not have been in church world, what I'm about to say, you may be like, really? You felt like you had to say that? Bear with me. But those of you that have been in church for a long time, it may surprise you to know. We've talked about it a little before, but it may surprise you to know that those who have an evil conscience may actually feel like they're doing the right thing. Those who have an evil conscience, it's not like... I know what good is, but I'm going to do evil, therefore, and they're working against their own goodness. There may come a time, like I said, Hitler was, thought he was doing a good thing. All of these dictators that wipe out people thought they were doing a good thing. It wasn't like, well, this is, this is good, so I'm going to be bad and all that. They, and that's what we have to realize about this. You, some of you may be, May, may not be a part of the Christian faith right now and you're coming in and maybe you're here with, with folks. I don't know why God brought you here. I'm glad he did and I believe he did. I believe he brought you here. You may be operating by a conscience that you think is right and what I'm saying to you is going against it. I, I just say lean into what I'm saying just so you understand what I'm saying because you need to make sure that what you're believing, just like we need to make sure what we're believing is actually so, is actually truth. Herodias's daughter, this is what, this is where we get into the, 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 the gross aspect of it. And I do say gross. I know that's not normally preacher talk, but when it talks about the Herodias's daughter, verse 22, came in and danced. Salome is referred to in other gospels. And Salome was the daughter, yes, of Herodias. This was a dance that was normally done by prostitutes. So Herod's daughter, with all of those men looking at her dancing, were getting stimulated in that way by Herod's own daughter-in-law, by Herod's own stepdaughter, by Herodias' daughter. Do you see what happens? You, you allow your conscience to be violated. It is a greased pole down. You've got to make sure that you are nipping it, Barney Fife, right? Nip it. Nip it in the bud. You've got to get it right at the root before it starts going. And so, verse 23, he says he vowed to her. And so he, make, he makes a vow. He wants to look good in front of his homeboys. He wants to look good in front of his guys. He doesn't want to look bad. And so he makes this promise. Clearly, he's king of the road right now and he makes this promise and it's idiomatic he wasn't literally going to give half to the half the kingdom but it was like whatever you want whatever you want whatever you want and then of course she goes over and begins to talk to mom mom what do you want i want the head of john the baptist now herod was caught because he made a he made a, a vow he made an oath now could herod have backed out of it for moral sake well some people would say well as far as that culture was concerned no but whose law are we operating by? Lawyers have to go through this all the time, especially defense lawyers. When they know information, they are bound by you know, uh, attorney-client privilege about how much they can share. 
But of late now, there's starting to be more and more where it's like if, if there is a significant injustice, that attorney-client privilege can be broken for the sake of being morally and ethically correct. But do you see how we find our loopholes and we find these things to where we can do the wrong thing but find a loophole to make it right? No, wrong is wrong, right is right, God's word is God's word, and we obey what he has to say. He's, so the, the daughter adds her own little touch. Bring me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. That was her touch. And so the word that is used here, and the king was exceedingly sorry because of his oaths and because of his guests, he did not want to break his word, deeply troubled. Deeply troubled, he was in a position to where he knew he felt, at least, that he couldn't do anything. His conscience now was completely seared and completely gone. And so when we look at this passage, we have to recognize just a number of things. Verse 29, it says, when his disciples heard it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. That's, a, that's significant because now what we're seeing is the more Jesus is going along in his ministry, the more the shadow of the cross and the specter of the cross grows. He warned his disciples that one day, one day he would be killed. Three days later, he would rise. They didn't catch that last part. They were fixated on the fact you're going to be killed. You, but that's what Jesus kept saying was that's what happened to all of the prophets in the old Testament, that they were killed because of the message. And it went, it went so against the grain of what the world is doing this Babylon system that's in. So what does this have to do with us? Well, what this has to do with us is, is this, is that we all are operating from some sort of conscience. We're operating from what we believe to be true, what we believe to be right, and what is informing it. Let your conscience be your guide is a terrible way to live your life. Let your conscience be your guide if your conscience is informed and directed by the word of God through the spirit of God then let your conscience be your guide because your conscience is awakened to truth. Now, some of you here, again, you may have grown up in church and church life is what you're all about. And when Sundays roll around, this is what you do. And you know the word uh, plenty and the word intrigues you. The word may bring some nostalgia to you. I remember what, you know, the pastor preaching this when I was a younger kid and this feels like home and such and such and this and that and thou and thus. And you can go through this whole line. And the word of God may have only gone so far as to intrigue you but you're not embracing the message. You're not embracing the message. And so you miss the fact that we are called to go and to move in this way with a full conscience, unafraid of falsehood. There is so much falsehood that's around. We can spend all of our time looking at all the particulars or we can look to the one who is truth and let that be our filter and walk in joy, and walk in hope, and walk in a way where we know that no matter what may hit us in this life, Christ has us. This, this past week, we've gone through a lot of funerals, but more than that, there's many of you who are struggling with a lot of different things, and that is playing very prominently in you. 
In fact, it's almost blinding you to everything else that's going on. You may be wondering, really, what is, what, how am I going to be able to get past this? And I just want to just say this to you. You've got to hold on to his promises. When you hold on to his promises, that will inform your conscience. You will go from just being intrigued by this book. This is nice, but I'm not going to open it till next Sunday. To be like, I'm going to embrace what he's saying. And I'm going to let it lead. And, li- and I'm going to live by it and be led by it. And we move forward knowing also that it's going to give us courage to be able to face the day. Christ is alive. His promises are true. He's rescued us. If we're, if, we're, if we're followers of Jesus, we have been saved and rescued and brought from darkness into his light, from blindness to sight. We have been lost, but now we've been found. He has us. He holds us. And we can, we can approach the day like, okay, I don't know what's going to happen, but I know who has me. On we go. If you don't have that, then you, you, you're relying on your own worldview to, to lead you. Evaluate it. Hear what I'm saying. Evaluate what's being said. And lean into what, if you're wondering about this, read it. Start with the Gospel of John. Read through it. But make sure that you're not just dismissing what is being said. Be informed by truth. Lean in to all that Christ has done for you. And one day, the Spirit may open up your mind and heart, and you say, I get it. And maybe that's what's happening this morning. Maybe some of you this morning, you've been straying from God. You've been straying from the most basic thing that that God calls us to do, and that's to assemble together. And some of you may have been straying from that. And you're here this morning. May this be a first step of you being all sold out for all that Jesus is and all that he's done. And he wires and works your conscience to where now you're living for him. And that filter is, is, is him. He's your filter. And some of you, you're struggling. Don't leave it out at the door. Bring those struggles to Christ. He has promised to help us by never, never leaving us or forsaking us. And giving us mercies new every single morning. Whatever God's calling you to do and whatever God's calling you to be, I hope that you won't leave this place without knowing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. So I'm going to pray for you, and I hope that you will not only pray for yourself, but also pray for your neighbor that they would know who Jesus is and what he's done. Guide us, Lord, in all that we do and say, help us, Lord, as we recognize who you are and what you've done and what you aim to do through us. May the cross ever be before us. May we realize how we have been saved and rescued from our sin if we're followers of Jesus. And if there's those that are here that have never trusted in him, Lord, today, now is the time, as your word has said, today is the day of salvation. May no one leave this place without knowing that Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior. Thank you for rescuing us from our sin, from our brokenness, from the, from the issues and the evil of this world. Help us, Lord, to know what you would have us to do and what you'd have us to be. Help us to be engaged in your word and prayer. Help us to follow through on what you've called us to do and to lean on all the promises that you have given to us. Help us, God, in all that we do and say. Use us in Jesus' name. Amen. We're getting ready to stand. and We're getting ready to sing this one hymn, Face to Face with Christ our Savior. 
Isn't it wonderful that we can see his face and apprehend his face? One day we will fully. But the fact that he looks upon us as followers of Jesus with his favor, he sets his face upon us, what a joy that is. And I hope that that is a reality for all of you, that you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Let's stand together and commit our lives to him.